Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is April 30th. In 1789, President George Washington was inaugurated. The Constitution of the United States was ratified by the states in June of 1788 in February of the following year, the New York Nation's Electoral College selected George Washington to be its first president. On April 16, 1789, George Washington began the journey from his home to Mount Vernon to New York City and then the nation's capital where he would be inaugurated. Washington was reluctant to leave the serenity of his home and uncertain about his new position. His journal entry for that day noted, About 10 o'clock I bid adieu to Mount Vernon, to private life, and to domestic felicity and with mild oppression, more with anxious and painful sensations than I have words to express, set out for New York in company with Mr. Thompson and Colonel Humphreys, with the best dispositions to render service to my country in obedience to its call, but with less hope of answering its expectations. His journey took to New York City took seven days and was transformed into a triumphal procession by crowds and local officials who had greeted the new president along the way. Celebrations erupted at numerous towns along his route, including Alexandria, Baltimore, Wilmington, Philadelphia, and Trenton. Washington arrived at Elizabethtown, New Jersey on April 23rd, where a ceremonial barge waited to take him across the river to Manhattan. A Spanish royal packet boat happened to be anchored at the entrance of the harbor at, at sight of the barge, on board of which was a president fired a single shot, whereupon that vessel was dressed at once with the flags of all nations. When the presidential barge passed, the Spanish vessel saluted His Excellency by firing 13 guns, which was repeated by the battery, and again 13 guns were fired by the fort at, when the president landed. His Excellency was received by Governor George Clinton, the mayor of New York City, and other officers, and after a procession had formed, consisting of more than of some companies of uninformed citizens and the merchants of other citizens of the city, the president walked with his escort and Governor Clinton at his side to the house prepared by Congress for his use. William McClay was a farmer, a lawyer, and one of Pennsylvania senators. He kept a diary of his experiences. We pick up the story as Washington arrives at the Senate chamber. The president advanced between the Senate and representatives, bowing to each, who was placed in the high chair by the vice president, the Senate with the president on the right, and the speaker of representatives on his left. The vice president rose and addressed a short sentence to him. The important of it was that we should now take the oath of office as president. He seemed to have forgotten half of what he is to say, for he made a dead pause and stood for some time to appearance in a vacant mood. He finished with a formal bow, and the president was conducted out of the middle of the window into the gallery and the oath was administered by the chancellor notice that the business done was communicated by the crowd by proclamation etc who gave three cheers and repeated it on the president bowing to them as the company returned to the senate chamber the president took the chair and the senators and representatives their seats he rose and all rose also and addressed them this great man was agitated and embarrassed more than he ever was by a leveled cannon or a pointed musket. He trembled and several times could scarce make out to read, though it must be supposed he had often read it before. He put part of his fingers of his left hand into the side of what I think the tailors call the fail, 
of the breeches corresponding to the modern side pocket, changing the paper into his left right hand, and after some time he did the same with some of the fingers on his right hand. When he came to the words, all the world, he made a flourish with his right hand, which left rather an ungainly impression. I sincerely, for my part, wished all had set ceremony in the hands of the dancing masters and that this first of men had read off his address in the plainest manner without ever taking his eyes from the paper, for I felt hurt that he was not the first in everything. He was dressed in deep brown with metal buttons, with an eagle on them, white stockings, a bag, and a sword. From an article printed in 2014, the 1939 World's Fair in New York City opened 75 years ago today on Sunday, April 30th, 1939. With it came the official start of the first regularly scheduled television service in the United States aimed at the public over RC's experimental station W2XBS. All previous television programs, regularly scheduled or not, were intended primarily for evaluation purposes to allow engineers to tinker with the technical aspects of television broadcasting. The W2XBS schedule was limited with studio programs on Wednesday and Friday nights and occasional live pickups from the fair on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday afternoons. Films were broadcast at various times Monday through Friday to give the RCA exhibit at the fair something to show visitors as well as TV salesmen in the city. RCA began selling television sets on May 1st. The first studio program aired from 8 to 9 p.m. on Wednesday, May the 3rd. The fair's opening ceremony began at 12.30 p.m. and ran until 4 p.m. It, it included a speech from President Roosevelt marking the first time a president appeared on television. The New York Times estimated that there were between 100 to 200 television sets in use in New York City, with approximately 1,000 people watching. Remarkably, the event was broadcast using just one television camera. This historic program is considered lost. It occurred almost a decade before the introduction of the kinescope, meaning there is no way to record the broadcast. Photographs taken from the television screens exist, as does newsreel footage of the opening ceremony. Here's how the paper described the broadcast. The main criticism of television viewers on the fairgrounds at Radio City was that the camera was too far away from the speakers, causing the images to be too small. They also complained the camera's main cameraman's remaining in the same spot for the entire show. It was explained, however, that this could be overcome only by the use of additional cameras, since the Secret Service would not permit the cameraman to roam around and get the lens as close to the president as the radio microphones are arrayed. In the rough schedule for the for that first week, on Sunday, the opening fair of the New York World's Fair, Monday from eleven to four were films, on Tuesday, eleven to four were films, Wednesday had films and studio presentations, Thursday, more films, Friday, films and studio presentations, and then Saturday, May 6th, they went off the air. Broadcasting reported that the first studio program on Wednesday, May 3rd, included a variety show with Broadway stars Donald Duck, animated cartoon, and a newsreel produced by NBC, especially for its television service, originating in the Radio City Studios. There was also a switch to the fairgrounds for telecast interviews with visitors. So if you're near a television set at 12.30, take a few seconds to think about all that small screen has accomplished in the past 75 years. And in 1952, Anne Frank's published diary was first published in English. The moving diary of Anne Frank, a Jewish victim of the Holocaust, is now available in British bookshops entitled The Diary of a Young Girl. The book was first published in Dutch in 1947 under the title The Secret House by her father Otto Frank, who survived the concentration camps. It is lively and said at the same time disturbing account of a teenager living in hiding with seven others in fear for their lives in occupied Holland. 
Anne died just before her 16th birthday in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in 1945. Her father survived and returned to Amsterdam where he, his family, and friends had been hiding for two years before the Nazis found them. There, his Dutch friends gave him papers left behind after the Gestapo raid. Among them was his daughter's diary. It was for some days that he, before he could bring himself to read it, and when he did, he was astonished to find out that a side of his daughter he never knew, someone who was wise beyond her years and had a deep faith in humanity in spite of her suffering. Her entry for July 12, 1944, three weeks before her arrest, read, I hear the approaching thunder that one day will destroy us. I feel the suffering of millions, and yet when I look up into the sky, I somehow feel that everything will change for the better, that this cruelty too will end, that peace and tranquility will return once more. The Franks had moved to Holland from Nazi Germany in 1933. In July of 1942, after the Germans had occupied the country, the Franks and four other Jewish people went into hiding in an annex of the house in central Amsterdam. That year, Anne, who had an ambition to be a writer, was given a red and white Czech diary for her 13th birthday and immediately started writing about her experiences. The annex was raided by the Gestapo on the 4th of August, 1944, after a tip-off from a Dutch informer, and the eight occupants were sent to Westerbork, a transit camp in Holland, and then on to Auschwitz in Bergen-Belsen. Anne died weeks before the liberation of the Bergen-Belsen, as did her mother, Edith, and sister Margot. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com U.S. George Washington inaugurated at EyewitnessToHistory.com First regular television service at TVObscurities.com and England's Diary of Anne Frank at news.bbc.co.uk. The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.